0: Thanks for checking out this episode of Business Black Belts. I really appreciate you listening and hope you get some great insights out of today's leader. Let's dive into the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Business Black Belts. I am really excited today to have Jonathan Brickman, who is a friend of mine, uh, one of my mentors, a customer. Uh, we collaborate a lot of ideas, so a bunch of different threads uh, between the two of us. But Jonathan, thanks so much for coming on.
1: Yeah, no, thank you, Miles. It's, uh, it's my pleasure.
0: So, first question, I know you go by brick seller on LinkedIn, um, and there's a lot of people from my audience who I'm sure know uh, some of what you do. But for anyone who's listening to this who doesn't know Jonathan Brickman, um, I love this question. How would you describe yourself in your own words?
1: Yeah, so it's, uh, it's a little schizophrenic, but uh, the brick seller really is kind um, of obviously my last name, but it's a, a family uh, nickname, Brick, for Brickman. And um, I mean, I, for the last uh, 30 years, I've sort of been in a selling mode, so that was kind of a natural uh, name to come up with, pseudonym. So um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's, you know, I've, I've taken kind of a crooked path uh, with my professional life, you know, started out um, in the engineering discipline and uh, knew I didn't want to sit behind a desk and be a pencil pusher all my life. And so eventually sort of found my way into more of like a business development on the business side of things you know with a strong like technical background but i really like that the uh how dynamic it was in the business world as opposed to sitting there
0: you know handling
1: tasks Mm -hmm.
0: and yeah but you brought that yeah yeah and you brought that engineering mindset to sales it's just you get a little more variety every day
1: (laughs) yeah as, as as someone said to me it's funny uh one of the businesses I was involved with over the years was in higher ed. And it was a uh, very much an analytical business. It was benchmarking um, higher ed research institutions against others. And um, it was started by two PhDs at uh, Stony Brook University. And I took this as a compliment because one of the founders, who's a pretty well-known, um, um, what do you call it? Uh, oh, I can't even think of it. Not an archaeologist, but a... Uh, What's the other word there? Anthropologist. Thank you. He said, you're a good process engineer. So I mean, I think that's kind of the way my brain works. Like trying to figure out like what's the best model to make things run smoothly and efficiently. So I I like to think that I'm pretty good at that just because it makes things more organized as opposed to by the seat of your pants.
0: Which most of sales today runs more from that way than from being as organized as it probably could be. So it's probably a unique mindset.
1: Yeah. I mean, because, you know, if you think about business, I mean, there are so many moving parts, right? And it's so easy to get things out of control and lose control. And um, so I've, I've learned the hard way that if you really spend the time, a lot of like thinking and hard thinking and put process in place, even though it's painful... And it takes a lot of time and thinking it really pays off big once you get that in place
0: and it also it feels like on day one you don't feel the difference as much as day 75 when you're running a process because the repeatability day one feels annoying but day 75 it's actually happening oh yeah i um, mean
1: not not to be too clinical and about it but i mean if you do it really co- correctly I mean, everything sort of becomes fungible. You know, you have like a defined role in a process and you can just substitute resources and and have them, you know, operational very quickly if
0: you do it correctly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it's interesting, too, even with some of the stuff that we've done together, even something very simple like sending direct mail. Like so many businesses just think, why would we spend the time defining a process It's just buy stuff on Amazon? But you realize... It's harder to track it that way, it's harder to get receipts, it's harder to show what happened, What and uh, it's amazing how much process protects you even when you don't realize you need it.
1: Oh yeah, everything should be really run by a process and documented and, you know, so you don't have, to, it's institutional, you're creating an institutional asset too, right? Which is one of the other reasons why you do it. You know, when you go to, you know, again, bring somebody in or sell your business, whatever, the more process you have, the 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 more value you've created in your enterprise as well. Otherwise, you have a consulting mm-hmm. business, right? And you rely on a couple people. That's mm-hmm. not. That doesn't really create a lot of value.
0: Yeah, and I was talking to someone in private equity this morning. I mean, they, they have some clauses in these funds, like uh, called like key man clauses, where if multiple people leave that were key, then the L P s can get their money back. Yes. And it's the, and the uh, port I guess the fund has to buy the company and it's that, that idea is uh, there is centralized risk in a couple people oh yeah any uh, any and better business now you obviously were one of the main propellers behind rain King um, before that was really an industry like before zoom info and seamless and you're kind of on the very early end what how did you get into that and what was that like to be selling data back before we all had it
1: yeah yeah, I mean, listen, even before that, I mean, the first uh, sales intelligence business that I was part of, I mean, people used to use phone books and index cards. And then it was like a cool idea to like put them in a directory. There was like the, on Wall Street, the red book and the blue book. And, and you know, people would literally like page through these um, physical books to find people to talk to. And then, you know, then came, you know, the World Wide Web, right? And we said, oh, let's make this a digital platform, right? And that's really, and that was like at the end of the no, end of 1990s and the early 2000s when is when it really started to accelerate. Um, and then, you know, ranking was just uh, the evolution of that first business, just applying the, the basic idea of like, really capturing all of the important um, data in a vertical space and just applying it to a different vertical and um, so it was kind of a, a natural thing to do but, but because it had already happened in, in other um, verticals um, mm-hmm. and it, originally you know ranking was not this big broad-based sales intelligence platform It was really focused on technology buyers. It, w- it was not everything. I don't know if you know that. So it was it was just the IT organization and and, and really a larger enterprise. It's not not SMB. So it was very focused initially. Um, and then it just continues to expand and expand to what it is today at Info. Okay.
0: I mean, it, it was amazing when I was at EMC. Um, and I, I know these ranking reports were kind of like gold. So someone might even be working with a partner rep at another company. I don't know how uh how they came across this but someone gave me a rain king report on this big uh timber account in seattle called Warehouser, uh and it was amazing because we got a meeting i, I want to say with the cio was a, this is right when i was right out of college uh i mailed some despicable me minion stuffed animals from target uh and this showed kind of my enthusiasm for prospecting because i was doing this out of pocket uh which when you're making $50,000 a year and trying to pay rent in Boston, it's not good to put a lot of -of out-of-pocket money into this. But the data you guys had to be able to say, this is their cell phone. This is where they sit. this is They report to this person. Uh, I've never seen anything like it. As much as even like Zoom Info and some of them are trying to do that, like the way you guys did it at that time was still higher quality than anything I've seen because now these tools are kind of dealing with this proliferation of inaccurate LinkedIn data, inaccurate yeah. internet data and it's very hard and back then you guys your quality didn't uh was so human driven it's just amazing at the time what that was well yeah
1: that, that's the key and you the operative word there is human driven right i mean back when it was a much more contained data set it really was uh it was very much uh, a function of having like a dedicated research group people they covered a set of companies that they're responsible for and they had to track them in, like an investigative reporter and they had to find everything they could. And they interviewed the people to validate data, you know, as that scope increased to what, to what it is today, there's no way you can do that with a human research group. There's just way too much data to do it. So people, so now, um, to extent that anyone does it at all today, which is doubtful. Um, Mm -hmm. They focus on the high-value uh, companies, right? To research, and the rest is all done by technology, AI, technology, data scraping. Um, you know, relying on the on the network to contribute to the data as well. Uh, so it's a it, it's a different animal. But yeah, no, uh, the the foundation of the business. Uh, my friend and colleague Bill Kaplan, he was a reporter. How he started out. And so that was really the underpinnings of the business. I mean, literally like hardcore reporting. You get on the phone and you call Dell and you talk to the uh, the people internally and you gather, gather data. And that's why it was so good.
0: Yeah. And it's amazing. I love cross-pollination. Like, I love the skill set being put in another. Now, you were the person running all of sales at Rain King? I was. Oh. I had and that, that number, wow. when you started, what was the revenue versus when? When you ultimately sold,
1: when I started, it was nothing. It was a ground floor operation. There was no revenue.
0: Okay. So
1: um, you know it was a pure startup, and we raised some capital, and um, I I ran that for about three and a half years. I think we got to about twelve million when I left. It eventually the business sold. Well, it, it turned over a couple times to private equity firms. The first first time was probably in the mid twenties, and then I think eventually when it sold and was acquired by it was probably forty five to fifty million in top r- line revenue.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, now what? I know most of the people in the space that you and I are in are somewhere in the probably zero to one or two million revenue. Yes, dreaming of getting over the hump to ten. I mean, I I. Uh, you and i talk about this all the time for me like you're at this level of like you got 20 people like your cell phone's ringing off the hook how do you learn how to systematize and uh figure out pools in the market that are scalable and such what was the biggest you know learning from that you would pass on to go like truly from you know zero dollars to i know my numbers well enough now i mean something like a million dollars a month of revenue yeah
1: Yeah, no i mean it actually happens um organically before you notice like i remember when we would celebrate like you know a hundred thousand dollars a month and then it was 250 a month and it was like oh my god i can't believe it and then it was a million a month and then it's a and it it just happens and again that's why i come back to what we started the conversation out with um if you build the right process it's like a model it just expands easily because you put more people in to the same framework um it's just like moving the chess pieces around. It's not that hard to do, really. If the market's big enough um, and you, uh, you organize and line up against the market correctly, then you're literally just pl- plugging in resources to address the market. And uh, you know, if you have good processes and management, then it's not that hard to do. I mean, if you're relying on everything to get done by yourself, then you're gonna reach a physical limit. And that's where most people struggle. Like, how do I make that transition from me driving the business to distributing the load over a bunch of people and getting them all mm-hmm. operational? That, that's really the trick, and it's, it's hard to do. It's really hard mm-hmm. to do it.
0: Yeah, and, and I, I guess another question that, that I have is you sort of have two types of startup in technology. You either have taking on an existing category, which tends to create a lot of me too feeling. Yes. So, you know, you have the 19th knockoff of zoom info, or you're trying to really create a category from scratch, like some of the projects you're working on, where you're really trying to say, this doesn't exist. I'm going to go make it both have their challenges, which is harder in your opinion.
1: Yeah, no, that's interesting. Um, it's, it's, a, it's actually an excellent question. It certainly is easier in many ways to be a me too because you're not creating anything new. there's already a market for it. They get the category. But you know you don't have the same upside with the me too, right? because you have to you're relying on market share, taking market share from somebody. So me personally, I'm less interested in that. I'd rather have create a new category, um, mm-hmm. something disruptive where you can own the category. The challenge with that, which we've discussed is that now I've got to educate the market, right? Mm -hmm. I've got to uh, bring them along into something new. Uh, But even that there's nuance in that too, because if it fits organically and naturally with what they're doing, like a a real product extension, it's probably not so hard. If it's really something disruptive that is not part of what their, their natural workflow is, it takes time. It's uh, you really have to have a lot of patience. Um, mm-hmm. but it's really exciting because once you crack that, that nut, it, it just, it, it really accelerates. But I like to say, make sure you have enough gas in the tank to finish mm-hmm. the journey. Cause I think most people don't, they run out of capital.
0: Mm-hmm. Is capital more frequently run out of than heart? Uh, yeah,
1: well, my most entrepreneurs that start something, don't have a shortage of heart and passion. They really want something to work because they, they believe in it completely. I would say most business I've been involved with that have not made it, and I've had a few, um, it's been capital. Just okay. run out of capital because invariably, you're gonna pivot, you're gonna shift. What you thought was gonna be the right product fit isn't. You're gonna have to make a, a change. And uh, if you don't have enough capital, then you, you, don't, you can't do those things and Mm -hmm. that that's critical you gotta you you have to spend money just like you're comment about spending money we didn't have it if you want to Mm -hmm. if you want to uh you know build the product you need if you want to test things yeah you gotta you gotta put capital to work you have to Mm
0: -hmm. and i've even noticed that in marketing like so so many people are looking for these something for nothing arbitrages and they don't exist like you're either gonna spend more on linkedin ads or more on direct bail or more like producing a show or whatever your thing is, but there's just like, you can't bootstrap your way or not, you know, or just not use money, like just muscle your way to, uh, after a certain scale.
1: Yeah. You're really, the, you can't. Yeah. Yeah. There's only so oh. much you can do.
0: Yeah. yeah. And, and it's also, I think it's funny when you get to the kind of the first chasm, if you will, of getting to like a million dollars in revenue, the crazy thing to me was realizing how many people, uh, like you, kind of offered me a lifeline possibly before I maybe deserved it or I even believed in myself. And the the funny thing that you realize when you get to that other side is it wasn't like you could perfectly track how you got there. Like you had some great plan and you figured it out. (laughs) And that's the part that's eye-opening to me is it gives you an appreciation for all the people who fail because they might have been more talented than you and just not have had the same, you know, relational, I don't want to call it luck, but the relationships that you were blessed to have. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, listen, I mean, the world, if, you, if you're if an entrepreneur starting a business and, um, you know, this decade or even the century, frankly, it's, mu- it's much easier than 30 years ago because, the availability of resources is so much more than what it used to be. I mean, mm-hmm. you don't you don't you don't have the capital to like you know, put physical assets in place that you need to. Everything's on demand. You have uh, incubators. You've got people that just want to help. Um, you've got LinkedIn for all kinds of intelligence at your fingertips. I mean, there's so much help. It's it's just much easier to and everything's online and digital, right? So it's a lot easier today to start a business, and I think your success rate also is much greater as well.
0: Mm -hmm. Now, when you look at that, like there's more information than ever. So buyers have more, all of us have more information at our fingertips than any human ever. That is a positive in one sense of the resources and connections, et cetera, but it also does lead to this myopia of too much overload. So when you think about modern selling, how do you break through that clutter? Like everyone talks about lead gen. Say you actually do just get someone who's mildly interested on the phone. How do you break through the noise, like both in how you present and how you run a sales campaign?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's really hard. I mean, the, I mean, people are just overloaded with products and people calling them and it's, 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 it's really hard. Fortunately, what I think is still an advantage if you can do this, because I, th- I th- with that comes, I think, a dilution of um, sales skills because there's so much out there. I mean, uh-huh. uh, unfortunately for me, my observation is that the average salesperson, particularly someone early on, is just not very good. Uh-huh. They, um, they don't really have sales skills. They don't have the maturity. They push product. Instead of like really having like a mature conversation with somebody to figure out you know where they can help, so um, if you have those skills, um, you can break through the noise. I mean, it beca- it's it's pretty apparent when you're speaking to somebody. Um, I'm amazed at some of these like high flying tech companies that I've been on the other mm-hmm. end as a user and how poor the uh, sales experience is. I mean, just mm-hmm. aw- awful.
0: <laughs> uh, well I'm amazed that so so in a case like that, I I'm curious because you, you know kind of the venture funding world better than I do. Are those companies just losing money hand over fist, but they have so much VC money that it just doesn't matter? Because I don't understand. I totally agree with you. Like, how do they how do they ever make any money?
1: Yeah, well, I I don't think they're concerned about making money in the early stages because you know it, I mean when you're really talking about VC, if you're really talking about it, you know literally VC money. Um, venture capital firms only invest in businesses where the market opportunity is just gigantic. They can be a unicorn. So in the early days they're spending money. they're not worried about um, they're not worried about profitability. They're not worried about all the efficiencies. They just want to pour a lot of money into the front end to get you know awareness, people on the street, make noise, right? All the fine tuning comes in after they've got some clients and traction, and they can start refining their model. So, because even if even if they blow through fifty million dollars, uh, if I'm going to be a unicorn, that's nothing, right? I mean, uh-huh. my return is still yeah. huge. If you're a typical business, I mean, that's a lot. You don't want to blow through that because, <laughs> you know, your upside isn't isn't is great, and, and particularly if you don't have the funding. So that's what I think it is, but but it it makes it painful in the early days because uh, it's just not very good.
0: And how do you think about the role of hiring humans? Like I'll see these companies now; we're hiring fifty AEs or something, and they're at like you know pre-revenue or whatever. And at some point, is that just not even the best use of capital, just to pump money into humans, or do you think there is still an argument for no? Those fifty people are all needed.
1: Um. Again, it's 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 a different approach. I mean, you know, when you when you start putting big sales forces on the street, um, you know, you sh- I think you sh- you should be waiting until you actually have, you know, real product fit, not just the guess, but like really a repeatable process, and uh, and you know that I can scale this thing up. But you otherwise, you're right. A lot of people do. They they go through lots and lots of money um, with people thinking more is better. It's just simple arithmetic. When, when, it's re- when it's really not, um, just because I got a couple of sales from people that I know because I have a relationship, doesn't mean that I have this really defined, repeatable process where I can just plug people into. Uh, mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're- And that's what, yeah.
0: it, lo- it feels like in the absence of that, you're just overspending on humans that aren't coordinated or aren't augmented with technology or aren't using a process. And it's just anybody's guess, like you said. And, and it seems like widely that approach is failing nowadays, maybe more than it used to.
1: Yeah, it's, it, I, I think so. I think, I think it definitely is. I'm not, I, I am amazed, I mean, at, uh, at how, I mean, I, you know, you kind of get overwhelmed when you just look at LinkedIn and you see the streaming of, of data coming through. I mean, how many different people are out there competing? I mean, I can't tell you how many times a day I, I, someone approaches me for lead gen you know uh, and they swear they're the best I'm the best at it I've, you know I have I mean the, the, it's just uh, it's diluted the uh, the talent is diluted the noise level has just increased I mean I, actually it was I I thought what was going to happen with because everyone can self-publish too right you can self-publish you can create as much content as you want so there's an enormous amount of content I mean the next level of the web or web three, whatever we're going to call it, is like applying much better filters on the noise. So you're Mm -hmm. just letting through things that are really relevant. There's just too much information out there for people to consume, way too much.
0: Mm -hmm. I think you're right. The competition with automation, I mean, lead gen companies, the world I'm in are a good example because they all are, in theory, experts on how to use automation. So they're reaching the buyer much more frequently than the average random company, like an SEO company. Yeah. But it sort of shows you what the world could look like for every product in 10 years, yes. where it's just, you've been pitched 18, you know, analytics softwares since the morning. <laughs> um, and I, I think that, uh, it feels like in that world, like you said, uh, there becomes a massive premium on the ability to get and hold attention. Uh, because that really is however that thing is filtering attention you have to be the best at it and you have to be the best at it once you get that precious human attention holding it and I don't I don't know what you think I don't think there's enough conversation going to that because everything I see with companies is inward focus. We should put out a white paper. this is what we're doing for the market and it's not about their ground realities of like mailing chocolate cakes might be the only way to hold Jonathan's attention nowadays It might like content, intelligent like is not as valuable as it used to be to you. It's basically has a negative correlation to your experience.
1: Yeah. I always things are almost coming full circle. It's like, you know, people used to go do door-to-door selling, right? Mm-hmm. And now we gave people these powerful tools where they can just blast out emails to everybody that fits their ideal customer profile. And so again, too much noise, so It's interesting. I mean, I've seen that, you know, just going to an event where, like, you get the right people in the room that should be qualified, in many ways is more effective than digital, Mm -hmm. right? Less efficient in some ways because there's only so many people you can reach, but the quality of those conversations when you do meet are much higher. So, um, and that's why there's been such a shift to um content and inbound marketing and right letting people consume information relying on the peer group right so as opposed to outbound which you're in the business of outbound so you really have to be very good at that if you're gonna if Mm -hmm. you're gonna get through otherwise i think it's going the other direction um Mm -hmm. so i still believe that the best approach is all of those things together in a very sort of um, orchestrated way so they're all connected it's not one or the other it's all all of them but done correctly
0: yeah and i think that the challenge i see with inbound because we obviously have kind of we do linkedin posting or podcasts or pay i'm starting to do it all like you said i think that's what's best for clients the challenge i see with that as a standalone is you can spend an enormous amount of time or money whether you pay an outside or an inside person and not get a lot of leads because it's such a slow build So the the patience has to be built into the model, and patience isn't built into the VC model, or isn't built into the small business model. And uh, and but you're I think you're absolutely right because the the thing that's fascinated me the most in doing this business for uh, I don't know what we're up to setting you know twenty thousand appointments or something since I started. What I've noticed is it's kind of like speed dating, like what a lead gen company is doing is connecting a buyer and a seller for the chance for the seller to explain themselves. But so much of a focus is going to marketing that not enough of a focus is going to actually being, meaning like if the goal is getting married, like a sale, yep. getting to the speed dating round is where 99.9% of marketers' attention is. I don't think anyone's thinking about what actually happens when you're on the first date and they ask you, tell me about yourself and all you can say about yourself is I spend all day trying to get girls to talk to me. <laughs> Do you want to see my playbook of how I do it? And there's no times that you don't have, like you don't volunteer at a kitten shelter once a week or whatever. And I think Elon Musk and some of these really revolutionary people have taken the opposite approach where I'm not going to spend on marketing. I'm really just going to spend on the product and the product will sell. And I realize it's never either or, but would you agree with that? I mean, it seems like there's an over-reliance on go-to-market.
1: Um, I don't agree with the statement the product will sell itself. I do mm-hmm. agree with... The fact that most of the energy is spent on dating uh-huh. and, and, and making a connection. Absolutely. And very little time is spent on when we when we go on our first date and we actually have to have a conversation. There's very, very, very little activity spent there. And that's where I think it all falls apart. So I've been saying this for 20 years. mm uh-huh. And only recently have people started to introduce, but even then, it's it's not really what, what I'm talking about. Um, you know, like Chorus and Exec Vision and Gong, where you can record and annotate conversations and try to help, you know, people with the actual date, not getting dates. Um, but you're right, 100%. That and that, I, I see it all the time. I see it with, uh, you know, veteran salespeople that haven't had, like... You know been doing the same thing for 20 years 30 years and they still approach sales exactly the same way and their dates are terrible they probably have first dates and they never have the second date because they, they still haven't figured out like how do i actually have a good meaningful productive conversation with somebody so we can see if we if there's something to continue the, the relationship so i i could not agree with you more there and that's what where i try to focus my time as a sales professional, as a uh, as a coach, um, as a manager, like helping people with what comes out of their their mouth when they actually get on the date, hundred mm-hmm. percent.
0: And I think you bring up a great point that's so interesting. Is when you look at the way the customer experiences it, is they don't care that it's competitive. So they don't care that you're spending all this effort getting them on the phone. They actually want that value, and the idea of putting like a you know, inexperienced person who doesn't understand the product, has never been the buyer. And just, oh, it feels like it's playing like the math will just take care of itself if you make the top of the funnel big enough. And I've noticed that, I mean, because you've obviously, um, you know, been our reference for us and brought us customers a lot of things. I've seen a lot of customers, we'll get them like 60 meetings in a month, which is a lot for a few thousand bucks, because oh, yeah. some markets are easier. And they'll come back to us the next month and be like, uh, this isn't working as well as we thought. Like, it needs to be 120 meetings. And you'll think, like, I'm all for, like, us trying to always get better. But at some point, we have to explore the idea that if, if you can't get any result with 60... You got a problem. There is a just a human limit that a little SDR or a little lead gen company just can't get you, like, six or 700 meetings a month.
1: If you, if like, you it's can't just, get there's just no 60, way to do it. Yeah, if you can't get business with 60 meetings a month, which is extraordinary then you, you've, got a, you've got a product fit problem. It's, it has nothing to do with the,
0: And that's what no one's talking about. I think just like you said, and that's where I think what you do is really cool is you're kind of saying, I'll come in as a growth advisor across this spectrum and kind of take intellectual accountability for all of it, not just part of it.
1: Yes. Yeah. all these things have to work together like an orchestra. Otherwise, it's going to fail somewhere. But yeah, yeah, you know, I'm 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 amazed. It's like you know the amount of uh, weapons that we have, right, to reach people, and um, and just sit behind a uh, by behind a screen and you know launch all these powerful you know tools, and then and 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 rely on that to be the answer. It's just uh, it's a recipe for failure. Um, mm-hmm. Sales. We still go. We still go back to the early days. I mean, you you have to know. You got to master what comes out of your mouth. You got to know your person's business. You got to know how to listen and ask good questions. You've got to get them to tell you about where they need help. If you can't do that, you're just an order taker.
0: And I think the other thing that you bring up, which is such a good point, is we live in a world where the promise of technology is so crazy, like AI is going to tell you what to do every minute yeah. of your day. or And these companies in Silicon Valley are chasing these visions of grandeur. And I think you're right, there's been such an under, and this is where you and I, I love to pick your brain, there's an under-reliance and just simple truth, like sending handwritten thank you notes after a sales call. Yeah. Like, cause it's just like all these old school things, like you said, suddenly start to matter when everything is commoditized, like every person, every, um, and I, I think about it all the time. And in, in the world of social media, like if I could get a picture on my LinkedIn of Barack Obama and I, regardless of how someone feels yeah. that that would get a lot of attention. Cause it'd be like, holy cow, that's the last president of the, or the second last president of the United States with him like he must know what he's doing like he's golfing with barack obama everyone's spending so much time trying to beat the algorithm in like engagement pods they're not spending enough time like getting a backdoor relationship through their senator to barack obama yeah. and to your point at scale that's just leading to everyone competing on the and they're just breaking the machine because it's overheating any tactic that someone figures out And there's a huge under alliance, I think, unlike what you're saying, actually being knowledgeable, actually serving your customer, actually picking up the phone at 9 at night. Like, all these things that are so cliche are, in my little bit of experience, enough to actually win.
1: Yes. It it really – I mean, again, to use another cliche, it really is a quality over quantity um, game at the end. I mean, there's – there are all the there are all these layers you have to do, but at the end of the day when you do have that I'm gonna use your metaphor again, when you're on the date, I mean, mm. then it's quant, then it's quality, right? Otherwise you just have loads and loads of dates and you never get past the first date. I had I had a guy mm. years ago that honestly, I've never seen anybody with as much activity as this person. Broke all oh. records, never I mean, just nonstop, eight hours. Know, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of outbound touches, zero productivity. Uh-huh. Never made a sale, never set an appointment. And, uh-huh. um, you know, my approach when I started was much more calculated. I wanted to like really like smell the blood, probably because I was not, I was a little lazier and I wanted to try to be smarter uh-huh. about it, but much more success. And it was. It became very clear to me if you really sort of see the opportunity and focus all your energy on that, as opposed to like trying to date everybody, you're gonna have more success. So mm-hmm. um, that that that's sort of played itself played itself out over and over, in, in, in history. Um, but um, we still uh, we still choose volume over quality and when you have the two of them together you're gonna you're gonna do really well so
0: yeah. well and you also bring up such a good point which is just that it it's not either or like it's smart work ethic because if it's just like i'm just gonna like get lucky or whatever because i'm so smart but you don't put any work you're in trouble but if you just decide like I'm never going to lose a single deal because I'm going to care that much. Like, you're like Jocko Willink, extreme ownership, everyone, like, it's psychotic because it's just you're not prioritizing the right thing. And I feel like there's an underabundance of people who are mixing both. Like, I heard a story um, where I go to church is really close to the US Navy uh, sub base. So I get to meet a lot of really, really interesting people who've been like career submarine captains and. Um, So you'll ask them questions at, like, you know, at these, like, dinner parties, like, what's it like to be with Navy SEALs or, like, how, like, and one of the things that uh, they'll tell you is, like, I guess in the way the Special Forces work, you have, like, Delta Force and there's some Air Force One and Navy SEALs, and then if you're at the top of the uh, rank of each of those three, they have some uh, joint task force that's, like, another level up, Uh, I don't remember what it's called, but it's basically, like, above... Uh, Navy SEAL is there's like an air force are they and the only way to get in it is you have to be able to run swim and jump so if you'll jump out of planes run and shoot and swim uh, and it, I forget it's a cool name I forget what it's called but the whole idea I think is like like in business if you're reasonably smart if you're reasonably hard-working and if and if you're reasonably like you know I guess driven or passionate or patient or whatever uh, you'll be you know moderately successful, but if you have all three of those in extreme, like that's really where you see these anomalies. Like Elon Musk is way smarter and way harder working and way more committed. Right. Like so, it's kind of like I'm amazed by it because I feel like what you said right now. You have these two camps. You have this: I don't work ever past five. Don't bother me. Whatever. I'm just a work smart like. I read the next great book of the month and I'm just way smarter than everybody. And you have these people who uh, read so many Grant Cardone books that they've just, you know, just trying to beat people's heads in all day. <laughs> it feels like you need a little bit of both.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, I, 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 remember, I remember reading uh, Michael Bloomberg's uh, autobiography. It's a simple book. It's called Bloomberg on Bloomberg. Mm-hmm. And the one thing he said, he said, you know, obviously he's had a, a re- very successful mm-hmm. life. Um, and came from nothing, by the way. I grew up in the town next to me. He uh, he says in his book, uh, "Just remember one thing: always work harder than the guy next to you." And that always stuck with me, right? I mean, again, you know, another cliche: persistence beats smarts any day of the week. I mean, yeah. You know, so there's something to be said for just really working hard. That you know, the the smartest people, you know. One more cliche. I mean, the, the, the A students work for the C students. I mean, all these things are sort of the same, right? Consistent that, you know, the, the people that actually get things done that work hard or dedicated tend to sort of lead the way, um, right? They, and so I've, I've always believed that. It's, uh, it's effort. It's really... Uh, you don't have to be the smartest person. You have to have reasonable intelligence. But if you're really dialed into what you're doing and you work hard at it and you're committed to learning and getting better, you're probably gonna be successful. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, and and it's interesting because that success might not look like what you thought it would, but it does feel like uh, you'll certainly have a really good chance. I mean, anything can happen to anyone, um, but I don't know if enough people, uh, especially maybe um, who are 10 years or so out of college, like think enough about that is all you can really do is give yourself a good chance of winning yeah and there's a difference you can't ultimately control the outcome none of us can right all you can do is really put yourself in a good position and you can be proud of that either way um i love john wooden because the famous basketball coach he always stressed that it's success is doing the best you were capable of and the actual whether you make a billion dollars or a million dollars like that is uh that's going to be a lot of factors. Yes. But you can control doing your best. And that's where I've tried to always hold myself accountable. If if it's eight o'clock at night and clients are counting on you, like look at John Wimpy's paper and say your best is till 2 a.m. tonight and you can decide to let off, but that's not your best. And that's not, and that that's always helped me because otherwise it just, you can over say, I have to be so extreme ownership oriented. I will never allow my business. To, and you're just, you're basically just trying to, play a role of omniscience you don't have or you're at this other extreme of like none of it's my problem it'll all just work out and i think that's obviously clearly um so i feel like we both agree on that
1: <laughs> oh yeah for sure but i you know again you know you, you working until uh, 2 a.m is not sustainable so again how do you grow <laughs> you, you've got to get other good people on the uh, on the mm-hmm. bus and, and distribute the load so you know you get more people working towards the goal that, that, that yeah. that's really critical and that and it's really hard to do it's great you know for you personally you, you could be the best and most direct, it's hard to get, get other people to do that and that's a whole other conversation
0: yeah and that's where a lot of your experience and i know if anyone listening to this reaching out to jonathan about things like do you give uh partners equity do you take on adventure money like those are all things that i i've learned from you because uh I've, I've seen so many people not have the experience you have and get burned one way or another. Um, and I think there's, there's a certain way to do it where you've had a ton of business partners and had good relationships. Um, now, I do want to give you a chance to do a little commercial for your mastermind group. Because um, I, I know this, we're still getting into hundreds of listeners on this show, but um, and maybe a couple people who hear it will be interested. So could you talk about sort of the Group you're putting together of CEOs and revenue leaders, and uh, if someone's interested, in what they could kind of expect.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, you know, sort of um, not in that in a formal way that we're talking about, but you know, I you know I've helped uh, you know dozens of CEOs and all kinds of industries over the last ten to fifteen years, um, you know, more on a on a consulting basis, and um, so. You know, I'd like to formalize that a little bit, and maybe you know, once a month, just have a session where we can just get together collectively and brainstorm, and people can pick up ideas from other people. You know, there's a lot to be learned from collaboration. I'm a big believer in that. I like to do. I, I've always done that in my teams, right? I don't want to have one superstar and everybody else is struggling. I mean, why not get everybody to share and fi- figure out what what the best practices are? So everybody can be successful so, so that's sort of the underlying um, theme here too you know let's get people uh, on, on things that are topical it doesn't have to be real you know structured and formal and uh, rigid but you know things happen every week that you know like boy I wish I could think about like what's the best way to you know finance the next growth phase of my business how do I do that You know, um, how do I, you know, think about a product extension and opening up a new market from what I started? I mean, you know, there's loads and loads of these topics that come up all the time that, you know.
0: And the whole idea is that for someone who couldn't maybe afford a full consulting engagement, they could be a part of a peer group where you're kind of collectively, excuse me, answering questions and basically um, bringing those people together to get to know each other through sort of this peer guided boot camp of sorts over a period of months um, and it's it's very affordable start rates right? so, on so, something like eight or nine hundred dollars a month is kind of the starting price that sounds pretty good <laughs> yeah or well, yeah well jonathan <laughs> give you the specific but yeah <laughs> uh
1: yes yeah, so, somewhere somewhere in that range it's, it's not going to be uh it's not going to be prohibitive um i you know the, the, i think the goal with pricing in general really is that the uh, the return should be way in favor of the consumer not the uh, the supplier. So, yeah, I, I think that the goal is to make it, um, you know, really a, a strong return, uh, lots of value, and uh, just a great, great way for people to sort of brainstorm and share ideas. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, well, I'm definitely uh, excited to keep getting the word out about it for you. I've benefited a lot from all of your wisdom and experience, and, uh, and it's fun to realize how much of this, really you have to either hear from someone who's done it or learn yourself like the books only get you so far um but i did want to ask you with last question speaking of books you mentioned bloomberg on bloomberg i know you're a big fan of keenan's gap selling any other must-read books for someone who wants to grow or grow their business um
1: you know it's a book i read a long time ago that is really interesting and again, I think it's still really, um, it's still relevant. It's called The E-Myth. E-
0: mm-hmm.
1: I don't know if you read that book. E-Myth. It's, it, yeah, it, I've
0: read parts of it, yeah. It's very it, applicable for my stage, yeah, I think. Yeah, there's <laughs> a couple.
1: Um, and it really has to do about sort of what, what we talked about here, like how do I scale and, you know, not just create a job for myself, but actually build a business that can operate without me. Um, another one that I really liked, because I'm big on uh, the whole customer uh, success experience, Um, came from someone in your neighborhood. Um, It's called Hug Your Customers. Mm -hmm. And it was based after a a high-end clothing store in Connecticut, Uh, Richard's. I I, I think they're still in business, but they had two stores. Um, Mm -hmm. But they wrote a book, because they had a phenomenal, approach to customer service literally i mean you know if somebody needed a suit tailored for an event that night they would deliver it to their house i mean they would just do all these crazy things like that nobody would ever do but they build they build an incredible brand um around that approach so those are two books that i i think are really good that i i sort of have in my uh library in my head um and i've yeah i'm excited to read that one yeah
0: I I love uh, The thing I love about those customer service stories is a lot of people would say there's no way to profitably do that at scale. But the interesting thing is you only have to do that once a decade for that person to be loyal to you forever. So it actually, as a law of large numbers, at any one time is scalable. Right. Wouldn't be scalable to do for every customer every day, but I've noticed with customer service, people overthink, can't go off our structure. And they forget to realize that winning someone for life is actually cheaper in the long run than them churning. Oh, yeah. Even if it doesn't appear scalable. But uh, it's interesting. That sounds like a similar uh, theory that those people have. Absolutely.
1: In fact, the uh, the theory is that just doing what you're supposed to do does not um, win loyalty. It does not gain Mm -hmm. loyalty at all. You have to do things way above and beyond. Or you have to have a bad experience and then fix it. But just doing what you're supposed to do does not gain loyalty. just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and, and someone once said to me, which I totally just didn't agree with, but they said, you know, I just want to do enough service to keep the client. Not a bit, inch more. Which, again, <laughs> is anathema to the way I think about it. Because I'd rather overspend on service because I think they become my best... Talk about lead generation and breaking through the noise. If you mm-hmm. take care of your clients in a Better than anyone possibly could. That's your best source of lead generation, without a doubt, hands down.
0: Mm-hmm. Hands down. Yeah, I mean, you've brought us, I, I don't know, yeah, more customers than I can think of off the top of my head, which it, it, uh, and I'm sure it, others, it speaks to exactly what you're saying. Yeah, and I'm sure others
1: yeah. have done the same. So if you do a great job, you, you're, you're going to get lots of business that way. So I, I, I really, really believe that.
0: Yeah, it's good It's good advice from my experience. So if someone wants to reach you, uh, obviously Jonathan Brickman on LinkedIn, uh, is there other any other ways you kind of would want them to, if they want your advice, want to join your mastermind, want consulting help, like what's the best yeah, way to reach so, you? So
1: um, you can go to jebrickman.com, um, which is really my, uh, you know, where I house everything and you can learn lots about me. I've been, you know, writing my musings here for the last 10 to 12 years so there's lots of content there you can get inside of my head um or uh you know i'm on twitter and linkedin and almost every digital platform except for snapchat things like that
0: (laughs) you haven't made it to snapchat or tiktok yet that's coming 2023 i i
1: don't think i'm the right demographic for those i I think i'm staying off those
0: Yeah. Well, me too. So I I don't know. I don't either that or I don't know what I'm talking about, but yeah. um, yeah, Well, thank you very much for the time today. Uh, I'm excited to to get this up. And uh, like I mentioned, just appreciate all your support of me on my journey. Absolutely. Thanks, Miles. Thanks again for listening to today's episode of Business Black Belts. Should you want to see more content on both the show, marketing, and business in general, feel free to check out my LinkedIn. Thanks.